Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. Continuing our deep dive study in Revelation, today we look at the life and death of a pillar of the early Christian church, Polycarp, a resident of the city of Smyrna, which we learned about in Revelation chapter 2. And we'll learn more about the crown of life that Christ will one day give his faithful believers. Here is Pastor Alex Cantaroja. Now, are you guys ready to learn more about this man, Polycarp? Now, I'll say this. As a baby Christian, I was all about the Scripture. I'm like, why are we talking about man? I really was. I was guarded against this stuff. In fact, even you know, growing up in, you know, growing in faith, if it wasn't from a Christian resource, I discarded it. I was, I was crazy like that, I guess. I was definitely imbalanced. But I can tell you, when I studied Polycarp, I told you, I felt this small. But you know what? My encouragement was this big. So let's learn about Polycarp, because guess where he's from? He was the chief bishop of the second century church in Smyrna. Now, as far as, you know, when he was born, there was some differences. It was right around the destruction of Jerusalem, either a little bit before or right around there. So when Jerusalem was destroyed, right about that time is when Polycarp was born. And Eusebius, who was one of the early church fathers, and this one, he's in the early 4th century, he tells us that Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. John, who wrote Revelation, the one whom Jesus loved, discipled Polycarp. And we have some citations there. Now, Irenaeus, who's another early church figure, he claims to have been a direct disciple of Polycarp. So here, the Apostle John discipled Polycarp. Polycarp discipled Irenaeus. Because I've heard of Irenaeus many times. And here is a quote from Irenaeus concerning Polycarp. He goes, I could describe the very place in which the blessed Polycarp sat and taught. His going out and coming in, the whole tenor of his life, his personal appearance, how he would speak with speak of the conversations he held with John, this is John the Apostle, and with others who had seen the Lord, how did he make mention of their words and of whatever he had he had heard from them respecting the Lord? So Polycarp, not only was he discipled by the Apostle John, he also talked with others who saw the risen Lord. So if Jesus rose 30 AD, and if he was, if he was born right around 70, there was still some people alive who witnessed. You know, John was obviously one of them, but there were others who were there and witnessed Christ before he ascended back to heaven. Polycarp talked to them. Not just John, he talked to others who saw the risen Lord. And Irenaeus claimed that Polycarp, he wrote more letters but he had this one particular letter that survived. And guess who was written to? The church in Philippi. Philippians. You know Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and we call it Philippians? Well, Polycarp wrote to the believers in Philippi. Now, I I didn't bring that in here, but I can tell you this. I read it, at least what was available. Man, it was borderline, right, right along the lines of Scripture because he was directly mentored by the Apostle John. And, when you, and you, can, you can read this in your own time. You can even Google it. 
But what was neat about Polycarp, and this is what's lacking in the Christian church today, you know, solid biblical preaching, not only preaching, exhortation. You read this one letter that survived, written by Polycarp. You know what he did the whole time? Quote Scripture. As says the Lord, as says the beloved you know, apostle, as says this. He's just quoting Scripture in and out and also exhorting them on what they ought to do and how they ought to live. I was like, man, we need that. We need more men like Polycarp who stayed true to the Scripture, pretty much just quoting it and telling us and exhorting us on how we ought to live in a dark and evil, adulterous generation. I really, I really encourage us to read that. But when I read it, there wasn't anything on there that I, at least the material I've come across, I said, oh, oh, yeah, it's a little sketch. No, it's a valuable historical resource. And I, th- I think it serves as a great model of how the leaders that are to follow ought to be. Now, there are many manuscripts out there, and it's called the Martyrdom of Polycarp. There's many, many in Greek, some in Latin. And there's even some citations of, from Eusebius. And this is what the manuscripts say that's out there. They said that Polycarp, he had a prophetic dream, and his dream was that he would be burned alive. Man, he's on fire for the Lord. Being discipled by the last surviving apostle, and history tells us one day, one night, he had a dream of being burned alive. Guess what happened not long after? Roman guards came after him. Remember, there's still the persecution. And they were sent to apprehend Polycarp and bring him before the proconsul. Remember, Christianity was illegal. They have a warrant for his arrest. You know what the Romans called Christians? And this is kind of a flip of the script. Atheists. Really? Now, when the Roman guards went to apprehend Polycarp, he had servants. Now, one of the young servants was trying to protect him. And we read stories when the Apostle Paul, where people were after him, they let him down through a whatever it was, and he escaped. Well, the servants also try to protect Polycarp. And, it, and history tells us that that servant was tortured until they surrendered Polycarp. So he did. Now, history and tradition also tells us, and I'm telling you, no, I'm not putting all of the citations here, and if you're interested, come see me. But this is, pretty, there, there's, this is pretty, pretty reliable in terms of the manuscripts that are out there and the citations from you know, various historical figures. But history and tradition tells us, okay, the Roman guards, they got their man. They got him. You know what he did? Here in the U.S., we go, well, I, well, you, you, what are my rights? You're violating my whatever. you right. Being an American, we kind of have this spirit of entitlement. Hey, I'm innocent until proven guilty. How dare you? You know what Polycarp did? He warmly greeted him. They're after him to apprehend him. There's a warrant for his arrest so that he can be killed. You know what he does? He greets them warmly. Not only that, he showed them hospitality. He had his servants prepare a meal for them. So I'm telling you, he makes me feel this big. You know what he said? Okay, now he fed them. They got to take him back to the proconsul. He goes, can I pray for an hour? I said, okay, you know, I guess the guards were like, fine. You know, because he's, he's showing them hospitality. And then this is very, this is reliable sources. He said he prayed for two hours. He asked for an hour, he prayed for two. But you know, when he prayed, he didn't pray like, oh, Lord, oh, 
he prayed that the guards heard them. I don't know how many guards there were. Could you pray for two hours? (laughs) It's a pretty godly man. He prayed not only for two hours, but loud enough that the guards heard him. And you know what happened? Some of the guards got convicted. They were like, wow, we're after this. Oh, by the way, by this time, he's in his late 80s, okay? He's an old man. He prays for two hours. Some of the guards hear him, and they repent. Like, what, why are we after this guy? He showed us nothing but hospitality. He's fed us. He's not rebelling against the authority. And yet we're here to convict him, you know, to bring him so that he can get convicted. So they got convicted. So finally, when Polycarp was taken to the authorities, this is what they asked him. So he must have been on his way. I don't know where, where, where they are. But he is now en route to the proconsul. This is what they asked him. What harm is there in saying Lord Caesar? See, like, imagine, if you're the Roman guards, because he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching Christianity, he's faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't want to call Caesar Lord. There's only one Lord. You know what they asked him? What harm is there in saying Lord Caesar? Hey, Christian, what's wrong in saying Hail Lord Caesar? and in sacrificing with the other ceremonies observed on such occasions, and so make sure of safety. He's like, this is for the safety of all men that we hail Caesar as Lord. What's wrong with that, Polycarp? Well, by no surprise, he refused to hail Caesar as Lord. And apparently he was in a chariot, and they threw him out. He broke his leg. He's in his late 80s. But here's what's interesting. I'm getting goosebumps. And these are written from our early church fathers. It says, A voice from heaven spoke and encouraged Polycarp to remain faithful. Oh, I would love that. It's like, okay, Lord, I know your spirit's in me. I, I know your word. But if you got a text from Jesus, and he says, remain faithful. So Polycarp, at this point, was encouraged by that encouragement. Now, when he was finally brought before the proconsul, they're trying to reason with this old man. They're like, hey, old man, consider your age. And this is what they said. Okay, look, you're an old man. Remember that. And they told him, just swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, away with the atheists. See, they're calling Christians atheists. They're like, come on, Polycarp. You're an aged man. Just swear by the fortune of Caesar. Hail Caesar as Lord. And then about Christianity and the Christians, say, away with the atheists. You know Polycarp? You know what he did? There was a crowd there. And he said to the crowd, away with the atheists. To the proconsul and the Roman guards that are there, calling them atheists, which is true. And they said again, swear, and I will set you at liberty. Reproach Christ. Reproach Him. Deny Him. Denounce him, and I will set you free. And this is, this is out there. And this is solid citations. And these are some of Polycarp's famous quotes after being asked to denounce Jesus and, and his faith and, and Christianity as a whole. He says, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He also says, if you think I will swear by the genius of Caesar, then you don't know who I am. And he says, look, hear me clearly. Listen to me. 
I am a Christian. Now, these quotes are, are, are pretty solid. So what's interesting, just like the Apostle Paul when he was brought before Festus and King Agrippa, do you remember that when he appealed to Caesar? Paul was trying to persuade King Agrippa and Festus and those who were hearing about Christianity. And remember what, 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 did, King, uh, what did Paul say to King Agrippa? He goes, King Agrippa, he goes, I know you're a, learned, you know, you're a smart man. You believe the scriptures, don't you? And then what King Agrippa say? He goes, Paul, do you think in this short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? <laughs> Polycarp, I'm telling you, he lived by the examples that was set before him. And that in this particular example, he looks a lot like the Apostle Paul, doesn't he? Well, by no surprise, this outraged the proconsul. And they threatened him to be thrown to the wild beasts and with being burned alive. They're like, okay, old man, enough's enough. If you don't do this, you will be thrown to the wild beasts and you will be burned alive. There is another one of Polycarp's famous quotes. He goes, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour. And after a little is extinguished, but are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you wait? Bring forth what you will. <laughs> Polycarp, old man, come on, man. You have grandkids or anything? You know, just, you know, just, shh, shh. Isn't it true? He's like, look, you can burn this body. It's only going to burn for an hour. And he's warning them of the eternal judgment that will be upon those who reject Christ and his followers and treat them the way they're treating them. I'm just going to burn for an hour, but based on what you're doing, you're going to burn for all eternity. What are you waiting for? Well, guess what happened? The Romans proceeded to stack up wood and made a stake to burn Polycarp to death. Remember his prophetic dream? Remember in Joel's visions, you know, young men will see dreams and visions? Well, this is just one kind of small blip example of that. And in tradition and history also tells us, now they didn't nail him, but they bound him to the pyre. Now pyre is whatever they used to burn so that the body can be burned, you know, the corpse can be burned. How many of us have heard pyromaniac? You know, someone who just likes to set things on fire. Well, that's the word here. Whatever with this thing that was combustible, instead of nailing him, they just tied him to whatever that was. And you know what Polycarp does? He prays to God. And you know what he does? Did he say, Lord, why me? Oh, pity me, an old man. Lord, why is this evil happening to me? I I was nothing but faithful to you. You know what he did? He thanked God for considering him worthy to suffer. Remember I was telling you earlier, we have things upside down. And and I want to say this with all due respect. You know, some of us say, oh, you know, I'm being persecuted as a Christian. I go, really? Are you on the run? Are you being thrown to wild beasts? Are you being tortured and scourged so that your organs are exposed like our Lord Jesus when he, before he was crucified? Are you made a spectacle in that way? Are you used as fire, as a fuel to light up the city? No, 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 because, you know, I'm a Christian and, and they're taking this right away from me. Do you see? What's off here? It's the other way around. So I think kind of the takeaway here from at least this is if we are in a position 
to suffer for his name's sake. Accept it gladly, without rebellion. But he thanked his God. He said, wow, Lord, you found me worthy to suffer. Now, doesn't it sound crazy? Would you want to switch places with Polycarp? I mean, be real. Probably not. But you know what? That's why a lot of Christianity, it is understanding not only the word of God and the will of God, and then aligning our faith to whatever that is. And just, I'm, I'm just going to say this just for kind of an illustrative purposes. So what if this was the deal? You'll live forever. You'll get a brand new body, better than this one, that'll never die, has an incredible immune system. COVID won't even do anything. You'll have full joy, full true happiness, true fulfillment of being in union with your Creator and your Savior and His Spirit. The catch is, if necessary, doesn't mean this applies for everyone, the one condition is be faithful even unto death, even if you have to get burned alive, even if you have to have your head cut off, scourged, whatever. If that is the pathway and this is the reward, it's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Well, you think the story ends there? It doesn't. Again, tradition and history tells us that as they were trying to burn Polycarp, remember, he's now strapped to whatever it is that's going on fire, that it says a wind literally swept the fire away from Polycarp and he wasn't burned. I was like, wow, thank you, Lord. It's like, okay, you tested me, but, you know, okay, at least I didn't have to burn. And isn't that reminiscent of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace and not one hair of their head was burned. Polycarp, because when he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's like, oh, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you, what you went through. But you know what happened? Now think about it. Okay, if you're the proconsul and you're the authority, you're trying to kill this old man who's kind of seemed defiant. You're trying to burn this dude, and he won't get burned. I mean, wouldn't you think a little bit? Like, hmm. Like, make you, at least make you go, hmm, right? You know what they did? They're all, okay, stab him. So the executioner there stabbed him to death. That's how he died. Here's a conjecture. Now, I'm telling you, when I'm like deep in the scripture, and I'm just kind of, I'm, there's this, this thing just kind of just, you know, pops, and I want to make sure I capture that because sometimes it can be insightful because, you know, maybe something we haven't really thought about. God intervened when it came to something created like a, like a fire, like, you know, a resource, right? The angels or whoever, if they were, while he was burning, didn't allow the fire to harm Polycarp. But yet, the executioner stabbed him. So here's a little conjecture. How many of us have said, God made me do it? The devil made me do it. I mean, the devil made me do it, I should say. It's not me, the devil. Now here, this is again, conjecture here. When it comes to the human will, if you kill somebody, you did it. You pull that trigger, you pull out that knife, whatever that is, and you you harmed or you took a life, the devil didn't do it, you did. Apart from the human will, whatever elements there might be, God may intervene. He never overrides the will. Did you get that? That's how he's going to judge the world, or at least our Lord Jesus Christ. Our will is our will. What we do and don't do is us. Did you get that? 
Anything outside of the will, yeah, God and his providence and his sovereignty and his mercy, he can do things just like he did here in Polycarp. But when they took it a step further and said, stab him, they stabbed him. I'm telling you, it's because of this mystery. When you say, who killed Jesus on the cross? What did Peter say? He said to the Jews, you killed him. But it's the preordained, the predestined will of God the Father, isn't it? But the Father didn't stab his son. Did you get that? The Jews, through the hands of Pilate and the Romans, they're the ones who stabbed the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was because of the Jews. The Jews killed him. They're responsible for what they did. Just because God allowed it doesn't get them off the hook. You get that? Are we getting this? So I'm telling you, when it comes to the human will, sometimes we're like, God, if, if, you were, if you're real, why did you let this happen? Well, did it happen through the will of someone? That's on them. And God has given man sovereignty for this period of time. And there are consequences to decisions that men and women make, good or bad. That doesn't make God evil. No. They will be judged for that if there was an evil, if it wasn't already judged by Jesus on the cross. Are we getting this? We're getting towards the end of the story here. Okay, Polycarp's now stabbed. There were Jews there in the crowds. And they said, don't give the body of Polycarp to the Christians that are there also. The executioner burned Polycarp's corpse and the Christian gathered his bones together. And early church history tells us that you know Polycarp, after this, he was remembered every year for what he did. But Polycarp is a good example. When Jesus said to the Smyrnians there, he says, be faithful unto death. And that would also include this believer from Smyrna, Polycarp. Okay, now let's look at the last part of verse 10. When Jesus says, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Now I'll admit, you know in verse 10, when it says the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. You know I'm already looking to the future. Like, hey, this must be Antichrist or something. But I'll tell you this, at least now looking at the history and the context that we've been covering think I was short-sighted because if you read it in its context I believe when it says they so that you will be tested and you have tribulation 10 days that that was under the Roman persecution and Jesus was warning that there's going to be some believers there in Smyrna who will be arrested and thrown into prison for 10 days and then executed but he says Jesus you're going to be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days now can that phrase also be prophetic I'm not saying it can't but for now, I'm going to stick to the context. The tribulation for 10 days was for certain believers from Smyrna. They were asked to be faithful until death, and Jesus will give them the crown of life. Now let's look at the crown of life statement, because that's part of the title of this letter. Crown of life. And we've covered this some in our intro. The crown was the symbol of the city of Smyrna. So what's the symbol of California? Is it a bear you know, on our flag? I guess what would be equivalent to that is when it comes to Smyrna, what was their symbol? Well, it was a crown. In fact, coins minted in Smyrna, they often had Roman emperors on it and even the imperial temples. So Smyrna, just kind of generally, they were loyal and dedicated to the worship of the emperor and the imperial cult. 
they hailed Caesar, generally speaking, Smyrna, the Smyrnians. Even their currency reflects that. Now, something about crown in those days. We've watched Olympics before, have we? Sometimes they might be put a crown or a garland over them or a medal, whatever it might be, flowers for some people. But oftentimes, crowns in those days, it was associated with a victor in the games. And when you see those crowns, it would be associated with great festivities, and others would also, you know, wear a garland of a crown. So these early believers were not only in poverty, but they did not and were not given any crowns, and they were excluded from any festivities. Remember, they were like aliens. So imagine that. You know, imagine you're a believer. Let's just say you're here. The Olympics is being hosted here, and they're kind of showing the spirit of the Olympics by wearing the attire and all that, what's appropriate, and you're not included because of your faith. And here's what Jesus is communicating. He says, don't worry about an earthly crown that will perish, but the crown of life which is eternal. And didn't James speak on this? James 1.12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And here's where we get beyond the context here. Here's a truth that applies to all believers, including us, that follows. Just as the apostles and believers in Smyrna have suffered and endured and were faithful until death, unto death, just as those who went before us were faithful unto death if, if needed, and they were given the crown of life, so too will all believers who are faithful, even if faced with death, you will receive the same crown by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just wanted to kind of ponder that a little bit. As a child of God, and for your faithfulness, and if necessary, being willing to suffer for his name's sake, when you see your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he will crown you with the crown of life himself. Not like a crown here that perishes. You know, I, I still watch sports. I've been kind of weaning off of it. It's just kind of in me. But year after year, they play for this trophy or cup or whatever. And they do it year after year for something that perishes. And here, the true trophy the true cup, the true crown, is being faithful to our Lord, and he will give us the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. Remember, this is regardless of our social or economic status on earth. We might care about our social standing with one another. In God's economy, it doesn't matter. Whether you're up on the social scale, you're on the bottom of the social scale, that doesn't matter, that has no bearing on being crowned with the true crown of life. So here are some more takeaways from verse 10. Can we get this? It's an honor to suffer for bearing the name of Christ. We need to hear this, church. We need to hear this. Believers, we need to hear this. If you suffer for bearing the name of Christ, it is truly an honor. Now, there are many examples, but I'm just going to call out at least a couple. The apostles set the example before us. And if you recall, after Peter's great sermon, 
when Peter and John and you know, the apostles were brought before the Jewish authorities and they were commanded to stop preaching Christ. You know the story. They said, you judge for yourself. Is, would we rather obey, should we obey man or God? Well, they ended up flogging them and then letting them go. And after they were flogged for preaching the gospel, they rejoiced for being considered worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' sake. If we got flogged for being a Christian in today's world, <laughs> we'd sue, exactly. But we need to hear this because if we find ourselves in that situation, don't look at it as some sort of curse, but look at it as an honor bestowed on us by our Lord to suffer for Him. Another example, and I mentioned this, Peter and Paul, they were killed as spectacles and preserved through those severe, they persevered through those severe trials. And Paul talks about this. You might be familiar with this particular verse. Look at what Paul says. And he's kind of like humorous in a way. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.9, he goes, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. It's as if, like Paul's like, it's as if, man, we're just like a spectacle. But this is the will of God. And you think God and Paul, with the wisdom that God has given him, say, okay, wow, poor us apostles, we're like the spectacle. Look, we're, you know, we're being thrown to beasts, you know, we're being crucified, you know, we're being killed, crucified, whatever, beheaded. And yet, with the wisdom that is in him, he can look at it rightly and say, well, yeah, that's how it looks like in the world. We're kind of like a spectacle, but in God's eyes, it is an honor. Because what did he say? He is, you know, before his execution, he goes, I go, right? He's going on to his death to be beheaded. And he goes, there awaits before me, there awaits before me a crown of life that is in heaven that the Lord Jesus will give him. And of course, another example is Polycarp. He was killed as a spectacle. He died as a martyr. Again, that means witness for Jesus Christ. So with all that, we as followers of Christ, if you're going to take anything from this whole thing, if you don't forget it, you forget the history, forget the, the, you know, the, the, the context, just be faithful no matter what, even until death at all costs. No matter who's in power or whether or not Christianity is legal or illegal, it don't matter. No matter what epoch of time we live in, do not, do not, do not denounce our King and Savior because Jesus never wronged us. And the promise is, if we do that, Jesus himself will give us that crown of life that never perishes. Let's finish up our last verse here. Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when you hear that, this does echo Isaiah, Isaiah 28, 23. He says, Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my words. Now, how many of us are guilty of this? Like, he who has an ear, let him hear. I thought that was just catchy. Like, well, that's pretty cool. Let, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I kind of just looked at it as a catchy phrase. You know, it's more than a catchy phrase. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
It's not just a catchy phrase. Did you know that that's a command to listen and obey or else? Did you get that? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. is not a suggestion, it's a command to listen, hear, and obey what the Spirit says to the churches. What the Spirit says, is the Spirit is pneuma. We know that that's the Holy pneuma, the Holy Spirit strikes another chord of the mystery of the Trinity, God, three persons, yet one Godhead. And as we've studied the book of Revelation, at least up to this point, and as we will continue to see that Revelation, you know, what's really clear is we see the relationship between the Father and the Son so far, haven't we? We see the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and how that plays out. And we've covered God the Father is on top. He is the authority of all authorities. He is the, he is the greatest authority. But any authority, on all authority that he has, he's bestowed on his Son, except you know, the Father is still at the top, and he's given him all the titles, all the privileges, all the power, dominion. He's delegated it to his Son. We see that clearly. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there is this mystery. I, can't, I still can't explain it to you, as, even as much as I want to try. But here, when it says what the Spirit says to the churches, it's speaking of the third person of the Trinity, God, three and one. They're involved in this command to hear and obey. He who has an ear, remember Jesus is speaking, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is speaking, who gave him this vision? God the Father. What, what does Jesus say? I only do and say what my Father does and says, and the Spirit likewise, yet they're one. He goes on, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes, who's he who overcomes? Sticking with our rules of engagement, must use scripture with scripture. Thankfully, in John's other letter, in chapter 5, verse 5, 1 John 5, 5, what does he say? Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he who overcomes it's not just limited to the believers in Smyrna. This promise is limited to the believers, yes, in Smyrna, but it extends to all who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm telling you, it's really challenging to study Scripture because you'll get into the context, okay, it's all about the context, and then sometimes it takes you to the future and beyond. But this promise of the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death, that applies to all believers from that point forward. And the promise is, if we are faithful, even if we, it costs us our lives, just like, as it did with Polycarp, not only will he give us a crown of life, but he goes, you won't be hurt by the second death. How many of us heard YOLO? You only live once. Mm, Jesus says otherwise. There's a second death. You're like, wait a minute. Once you die, that, that's not it? Nope, that's not it. But if you're a believer in Christ and are faithful, you won't be hurt by that second one. But if you aren't in the faith, you don't believe in him, you will be hurt by the second death. Now, I'm not going to cover too much on the second death. Uh, we've covered that extensively in prior studies. Um, so just some, a reminder, 
We did a study on where do believers go when we die, and also one of our more recent studies, The Keys of Death in Hades. We talked a lot about Hades and ultimately the lake of fire. But just know this. Believers go to paradise in heaven. When Jesus told the thief on the cross, when the thief asked him, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and he goes, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Believers go to paradise in heaven. Unbelievers go to Hades and then later to the lake of fire. So believers, the promise here is if we're faithful, even if it's faced with death, that we will not experience a second death, but the contrary is true. Unbelievers will. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey, does not believe in the Son, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know, because I think many of us have kind of memorized John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him um, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we just plaster that. It's kind of our you know, gospel outreach. But you've got to keep reading. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that he might save the world through him. He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The gospel has this call and command to repent and believe or else. Let him who has an ear, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches and that also comes with a warning. It's a command and a warning and that's all throughout Scripture. And here's the the application there. All believers who are faithful, even if faced with torture and death, will not experience a second death, but instead will be given a crown of life and received into paradise into the loving arms of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Thank you so much for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. We hope you were encouraged by today's lesson as we looked at the life and death of Polycarp and the amazing hope we have of one day being given the crown of life by our Lord Jesus Christ. This should help keep us grounded and balance our perspective as we suffer trials and tribulations in this life. If you've missed any part of our study so far, you can find all of them on our website, truthmatterschurch.org, or search for us on Sermon Audio. And if you're blessed by the teachings you're hearing, please consider supporting Truth Matters Church. You can give online at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.